coverage. This is the PFT PM podcast. And now your host, Mike Florio. Okay, PFT PM posse. After a couple of days off, we've got a Friday edition of the PFT PM podcast taping from my basement because I'm on puppy duty today. You may hear a bark or two. You may hear me speaking in semi-baby slash dog talk to tell Macy she's a good girl if she doesn't pee on the floor over the course of the next half hour or so. Can't do a full-blown talk until I'm done today, but I wanted to make sure we got one posted. You know, some days we get caught up in it, and the next thing you know, an hour and a half has gone by. Today, 30 minutes is the goal, maybe a little more than 30. Depends upon the quality of the questions that will be streaming in via Twitter And one thing I do have to say, kudos to the PFTPM posse for the quality of the questions that are being presented each night in advance of PFT Live. We've been using some of them every morning because they are very insightful questions. And also it forces Stats to do something he hates to do, which is interact with the PFTPM posse. By the way, my favorite new Twitter account, although there's been some alteration of the letters Essentially, the name of the account is Stats Sucks Balls. So, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's <laughs> that's, uh, and I'm sure that Stats likes the attention. I think Stats' mindset is any attention is good attention, even if there is, uh, you know, a Twitter handle like that one that is applied to him. All right, things that have happened since PFT Live ended. This Kellen Winslow situation is bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. And remember, the latest word we heard was that he'd been arrested on suspicion of burglary. His agent, his lawyer came out very aggressively that he was house hunting for his mother-in-law. And it's all a very reasonable explanation. There was a vague suggestion that this is another example of a white neighbor seeing an African-American person doing something that they were fully within their rights to do and reacting in whole or in part because of race. Well, now we've got a report from the San Diego Union Tribune. And the, the facts are just, it's just bizarre. Kidnapping and rape. He is charged with two counts of forcible rape, one count of forcible sodomy, one count of forcible oral copulation. Other charges include kidnapping with the intent to commit rape, residential burglary, and indecent exposure. And there are four victims, all women, age 54, 59, 71, and 86. Burglary with the intent to rape an 86-year-old woman in June. So, look... We know that there have been incidents with Kellen Winslow in the past. So this really shouldn't be shocking, but it's still shocking to see that someone would prey on women of any age, but to prey on older women who are even more helpless than women that he would interact with that are closer to his age range. Now, he's a big, strong guy. I'm sure he could impose physical force on most people he comes into contact with, male or female, but there's something particularly insidious and bizarre and warped and twisted about what this guy is accused of doing. He faces life in prison if he's guilty, and if he is guilty, he should spend the rest of his life in prison. He's entitled to the constitutional presumption of innocence. We'll see what kind of evidence can be put together. We'll see where this goes, but just one of those things that just 
makes you sick to the stomach to see the allegations. All right, other things happening. The president was on Fox and Friends earlier today. He said plenty of things about the Ansem controversy, including the comment that's drawing the most attention. And he said this, they're all saying, and this is the players who are protesting during the anthem, oh, it has nothing to do with the flag, it's the way we've been treated. In the meantime, they're making $15 million a year. That is such a clever way to undermine the reasons for the protests, to twist it all together, to make it into something it's not. And look, first of all, the players aren't protesting the way they've been treated. They're protesting the way others have been treated. This all started with Colin Kaepernick objecting to the manner in which police officers interact with African-Americans and people of color. And it has expanded via the efforts of people like Malcolm Jenkins, the great Eagle safety, to encompass prison reform. And it's not just, hey, let's go find people who have been unjustly incarcerated and give them the get out of jail free card. I mean, the president seems to be fascinated with this unlimited opportunity to put people out of jail for free, all based upon the fact that they haven't been treated fairly. And keep that theory in mind when it's time for him to start setting free people that he thinks weren't treated fairly in connection with efforts to investigate his campaign, because I think that's where this is all heading. Hey, I've let many people go who were not treated fairly, including people from my campaign. I think that's where it's heading. But it's so much more than what players are. It's nothing about what players believe was done to them. It's what players believe is being done to others. That's why the protests have happened. And also, a very small percentage of players making $15 million a year. Most players are south of a million. Now, look, it's not poverty line by any stretch, but the players, as we now know, are making significant physical risks when they play football and they are setting themselves up for long-term orthopedic and cognitive problems and the money will be long gone by the time they are paying the price. So yeah, they're being compensated to entertain us for now, but there's a bill that's gonna come due 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road and that money that they made while they were playing, that money's gonna be long gone by the time that the players are faced with the real physical and mental consequences of playing professional football. So Tori Smith, I think, I think Macy is asleep and she's dreaming. Every once in a while, there's a, you'll hear a slight little noise in the background. Anyway, Tori Smith has vowed to chime in on Monday. We're going to reach out to him and invite him to come on PFT Live to talk about the situation. I don't know how he chooses to do so. Everyone is in their off-season break post-off-season workouts, pre-training camp, but he's got an open invitation to join us anytime he wants. He decided not to do anything for now because he got his new Super Bowl ring last night and he wants to enjoy that, and it's hard to begrudge him that opportunity. Moving on, the Dallas Cowboys, at a time when maybe Randy Gregory will be reinstated after an extended substance abuse policy suspension, David Irving will be suspended the first four games of the season due to a violation of the league's substance abuse policy. And we know how this goes by now. PED policy, one strike, you're suspended. Substance abuse policy, you have to violate it multiple times before you end up being suspended. So Irving has had multiple run-ins with this policy. He's had opportunities to choose football over whatever substance is keeping him from now playing football for the first four games of the season. And it's been announced. No appeal rights, no confidentiality issues. It's been announced that David Irving 
will miss the first four weeks, which means any appeal rights he had have been exhausted. And on that point, I haven't written this yet at PFT, but I want to mention something about this briefly. I talked earlier in the week about the Julian Edelman case and how maybe he's got a plausible defense, although I think that the defense that was floated to Albert Breer of SI.com was more of an expert example of PR than an actual substantive defense. I think that they found a PED in Julian Edelman's system. They just don't know specifically what PED it is, but they still decided it was a PED. Otherwise, he wouldn't be facing a suspension. My problem continues to be we shouldn't know about it because the appeal isn't final. And if for some reason he comes up with an argument that defeats the suspension, then we should have never known about it. He never should have been stigmatized by the reports of a positive PED test. So, look, I asked the NFL and the NFLPA officially for comment on whether or not there's a concern about the way this happened. You've got ESPN, two different reporters were reporting it. So two different people told ESPN reporters about it. Somebody told an NFL Network reporter about it. And that's a per se violation of the confidentiality privilege as far as I'm concerned, because people who work for NFL Network work for the NFL. So if you're going on the air or going on Twitter or going anywhere and saying that someone is facing a PED suspension before it's final, you're breaching the confidentiality policy, period. The NFL never got back to me. The NFLPA never got back to me. And it tells me on the surface that they understand there isn't much they can do. And part of the problem is this. A lot of times the player starts talking about it in the locker room and one player finds out and tells somebody else and tells somebody else and the next thing you know, people know about it. So the cat gets out of the bag in large part because the player has let it out of the bag. The right case for a confidentiality investigation would be one in which the player says, I didn't tell anybody. I knew not to tell anybody because I didn't want this getting out. I chose to keep my mouth shut until the appeal was final, and that's what I did. I promise you, I told no one. No one saw the letter. No one said anything to me about it in the locker room. Nobody knew about it. Somebody else leaked this. And if there's ever a player who can say that and in turn says to the NFLPA, I want an investigation, then maybe that's the moment where the NFLPA pulls the trigger on this. And it can get very interesting because the NFLPA can do its own investigation of its people. Well, there are limited people at the NFLPA whose phones could be searched and emails could be reviewed to see who blabbed. But if the NFLPA exercises its prerogative to launch an investigation or to get the NFL to launch one, and if the NFL wants to truly be aggressive about this, they can find out. Unless you've got coaches, front office people with burner phones who are shipping this information secretly to reporters, you swoop in with the same zeal that you swooped in with Tom Brady's phone, maybe you're going to find out who's talking to whom. And maybe that's the way to get people to finally respect the confidentiality of players. And for example, we knew about this David Irving suspension before it was final. Shereen Williams had found out about it because she's essentially embedded with the Cowboys and that's great for her and it's great for us. And she asked me, what do we do with it? And I said, we don't report it because it's not final yet and I'm going to respect the confidentiality of the players because it's there for a reason. And who cares? How many more clicks are we going to get? Oh, we're the first ones to report that a guy is facing a a potential substance abuse suspension. Now, once someone else reports it, I think we're not doing our job to be a comprehensive repository of NFL information if we don't pass it along. But I don't want to be the first one with that. 
because I don't think it's right. I don't think it's fair. There was a time when we did it, but at some point I realized that this isn't appropriate. It isn't fair because I don't want players to be stigmatized prematurely or undeservedly. Because if Edelman wins his appeal, right, there's still going to be people who thinks that Edelman cheated and, oh, he just got lucky. Oh, it was a technicality. Whereas if we had never known about it and he beat the suspension via appeal, nobody would ever say anything. Or if they did, it would be completely unsubstantiated. So, you know, not that anybody else in the business is going to listen to me on this, but it would be nice if the editors and producers at ESPN, NFL Network, anybody else that's out there chasing information, all the newspapers, you know, it would be nice if people realized, you know what, these are human beings as well. They deserve to enjoy the confidentiality that the NFL and the NFLPA try to give them. And I understand we're in the business of gathering information. I understand that. But why do we want to flag someone as a cheater? And this is more about the PED policy because I don't care about the substance abuse policy. I don't care what guys do on their own time. But why do we want to flag someone as a cheater under the PED policy before the actual final ruling has been made? That's just my thought on it. I don't expect anyone else to agree with me, but... I'm not going to change my mind about it. I mean, this is the product of 17 years of doing this, and I believe what I believe, and I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. All right, let's see what questions are here because I've got limited time today. I know I've already said it, and I know I'll probably say it again. Let's see what we have. Not a lot of questions because things have slowed down, but let's see what the PFTPM posse can put on the table. With Earl Thomas's injury history, would the Seahawks be better off trading him for whatever they can get rather than waiting for a compensatory pick as he may not play enough to trigger a good comp pick? Look, I don't know the details, the full details of the formula that determines the compensatory draft pick amounts, and it's all driven by how many free agents you sign versus how many free agents you lose, and age is a factor. There's a lot of factors that go into it. From the Seahawks' perspective, the best approach, I think, would be to just go ahead and move this guy if this is going to be his last year. You're in a youth movement. The expectations are low for the team. If you can get something that will help you get better, do it. I just think that there's only one team interested. It's the Cowboys, and I think the Cowboys are lowballing them. The key for the Seahawks would be to get someone else involved. You get two people involved. Then you got a party. Then you have an auction. Then you have bids going up. But when it's just one team, your only leverage is, screw it. We just won't trade him. Well, that's not going to get it done. So at some point, I still think there's a chance it happens, and I think it would be smart for the Seahawks to do it. I mean, in hindsight, don't you think they wish they'd traded Richard Sherman last year? And the Cowboys are probably using that against them. They're probably reminding them of that. Hey, you had a chance to trade Richard Sherman last year. I bet you wish you did. You'd have something for him now instead of nothing. Because remember, they cut him. So he doesn't count toward the compensatory draft pick process at all. PFTPM Posse says, tell Sims that during the Tuesday draft, he said, I don't have to explain myself. Well, he actually does have to explain himself because that is his job and is probably stated in his contract Back us up here, Florio. I don't remember where he said, I don't have to explain myself. I think that was his way of getting out of a situation where he was completely stumped. That was his, that was his cry of fake news. So, yes, I agree. He does have to explain himself, although I would prefer that he not explain himself over provide some ridiculous explanation that makes him and indirectly me look stupider than we already are. 
Mike Florio's burner account, I see that whoever has that account has gone back to that name. It was Macy's inner voice for a while. How soon before John Gruden is pinched for going over the time restrictions for practices? Look, I think the Raiders are a team that the NFLPA definitely should be paying attention to when it comes to possible violations of the offseason workout rules because Gruden is a first-year coach with the Raiders for his second time, and he's agitated by the restrictions on what he can and can't do, and maybe he is pushing these guys a little more aggressively. I think the Raiders got in trouble for that several years ago in Lane Kiffin's first year as coach of the team. The Giants, I believe, are going to end up being investigated because of whatever it was that resulted in that fight with a swinging helmet on Thursday. You don't end up in a situation where someone's swinging someone else's helmet if there isn't contact. So keep an eye on the Giants, and I wouldn't be surprised if at some point there is a closer look taken at what's going on in Oakland. That's not to say they've cheated, but the thing is, by complaining and complaining and complaining again about the limited opportunities to get players ready, most recently Gruden complained about that as it relates to Christian Hackenberg. I think it's fair to wonder exactly what may have been happening out there. Mike Florio's burner account asks, could Kellen Winsland try a CTE defense for his batshit crazy actions? I think it's a matter of time before somebody does that, tries that. I think it's already been suggested in some other cases. But I, I think that the response would be, hey, he's opened the door on all the crazy stuff he did before he would have had CTE. And I don't think that anyone, how do you, okay, first you have to prove that you have it. How do you prove that you have it unless you're dead? So I, 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 don't, I, I don't know that there's going to be a lot of sympathy for whatever defense Kellen Winslow tries to put forward on this one. Because it's a very specific form of antisocial behavior, right? If you've got CTE, I don't think you're going to be capable of confining your inappropriate behavior to one very narrow subset of victim. So I don't buy it. Maybe he'll try it, but I don't think I'm going to buy it. PFTPM Posse, isn't the Ravens issue with Joe Flacco that he only turns it up after being challenged or in a contract year? A franchise quarterback who is usually the highest paid, the leader, manager on the field, shouldn't need the heat turned up or to be challenged to put in the work. Hey, I look at it this way. This is Flacco's last year in Baltimore, right? Unless Lamar Jackson is an absolute bust and all indications are he won't be, or unless he suffers a serious injury in his rookie year, I think Flacco is gone after this year. The cap number goes through the roof for 2019. The cap number for getting rid of him becomes much more manageable for 2019. And I think an injury to Flacco or the team struggling or Flacco struggling or Lamar Jackson just being complete and total lights out above and beyond Flacco. Like when he gets an opportunity, if it's just unbelievable, then he earns more opportunities. And he earns more opportunities as long as he keeps performing that way. Because ultimately, this is an entertainment business, people. And the goal is to get fans to part ways with time, money, and loyalty. Loyalty, love, emotion, dedication. You want players, or your fans rather, to be all in. And if you've got players who are great, you get them on the field, you showcase them, and you excite your fans. We're always fascinated by rookies right? And Lamar Jackson could be fascinating. So the clock is ticking on Flacco. It reminds me a lot of 1995 Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers used Cordell Stewart, then a rookie in a variety of capacities. It was a fascination for NFL fans. And but for the fact that the Steelers were really good and Neil O'Donnell, the quarterback at the time, was good enough, maybe at some point they would have benched 
Neil O'Donnell for Cordell Stewart. But if Flacco's playing well enough and if the team is performing well enough, then they just will use Lamar Jackson from time to time and help get him to the point where, when it is his job, and I think it will be, the game will slow down for him more quickly. But you're right. You want a guy who's going to bring it all the time, not just when he's got a contract riding on it or his job riding on it. You have to bring it every game, every week, every day. It reminds me of, and this was 2004 playoff run by the Vikings, when Randy Moss and other guys on the field were, were blowing out these giant afros, and they were doing it for big games. And somebody asked Dante Culpepper, who at the time, he had a great year in 2004, and it was that knee injury in 2005 that derailed his career. Somebody asked him why he doesn't do it. Well, apart from the fact that his hair was kept fairly short to his scalp, that would be one limitation. But he said, every game's a big game. See, so every year's a big year. Every circumstance is a big circumstance. You don't pick and choose. And you don't just play when you feel like you're reaching for a brass ring and or trying to avoid a foot to the ass. And maybe with Flacco, that's kind of what he's evolved into. PFTPM Posse, on a theory that we've been discussing throughout the day, maybe coaches cancel OTAs because they aren't in pads or allowed to have contact and they find them fairly worthless without really being able to compete. I still think that opportunities to get players on the field and work on situational football, work on things that you would otherwise be doing through walkthrough practices during training camp. See, I'm having a hard time reconciling coaches complaining about not having enough time to get their players ready for the games that count with coaches canceling OTAs. Bill Belichick in the past has attributed the struggles of his offensive line to not having the amount of opportunities they used to have. Well, why are you letting the team go? Scrapping essentially a full week of OTAs. They canceled two sessions, and the third session was this trip back in time to make players better understand the history of football. And I think that's great, but if you've got limited time to get your team ready, I think that's even better to take advantage of it and get your players ready. PFTPM Posse, do you see the Cowboys just cutting David Irving now that he's suspended again? I think he's got a $2.91 million non-guaranteed restricted free agency tender for this year. Four-game suspension. They still need him, right? They're going to save the money that would be paid to him during that four-week suspension. I I think that you keep him and... You just hope that he's able to come back. And look, what have they done? Have they cut other guys who've been suspended? It seems like you have to either be suspended or be on track to be suspended to play defensive end for the Cowboys anyway. So uh, I, I don't think they cut him. Brady, oh, Brady posting selfies. He's, he's going to be a groomsman at a wedding. How do I look? You, you, you look marvelous, Brady. You got to let the shoulders down a little bit. You got to relax a little bit. You got to tie the tie just a little bit longer. Now, I'm not a big fan of the Donald Trump tie it like so far down you could you could use it for you know as a replacement for toilet paper but I, I isn't the, the the tip of the tie supposed to make it down to like the top of the belt unless the styles changed either way if your jacket's buttoned nobody's going to notice but you're looking good looking good uh enjoy the wedding and uh thank you for sharing that with us and i don't say that sarcastically well maybe not completely sarcastically but you're looking good brady thank you and thanks for being part of the PFTP and Posse. And how about cleaning up that room a little bit, man? You got socks on the floor. Looks like my room. Come on, man. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Julie wants to know, what do I think of all the Packers free agency signings this year? The fact that there are all of the Packers free agency signings tells us what we need to know about the Packers this year. What's gotten into the Packers? Between adding Jimmy Graham and Muhammad Wilkerson, 
And I think Graham can still be really good. I don't think the Seahawks knew how to use him the right way. I think by the time that Jimmy Graham gets open, Russell Wilson sees an opening to run. Aaron Rodgers is going to throw him the football. You know, Jimmy Graham was the, the answer to the, hey, we need a red zone target to throw the ball to when we're in goal line situations so we don't throw a slant pass that gets intercepted. Instead, you put Jimmy Graham back in the end zone, you throw it high, either he catches it or no one catches it, and ultimately Malcolm Butler doesn't catch it. I think the Packers will know how to use him. The Packers haven't had a great pass-catching tight end since Jermichael Finley. They had that limited moment during the postseason when Jared Cook stepped it up. Last year with Martellus Bennett was a disaster. I think Jimmy Graham could be very good. The C.J. Newman, could someone in contract negotiations try to get a favored nations clause for their position to, to avoid being passed by when it comes to being the highest paid? It could be creatively done by adding the additional money to signing bonus or something. Now, look, it doesn't have to be that complicated. If you want, you can, if you're a team, you can put a clause in there that says that the player will always be the highest paid at his position. Remember, the, well, there was a poison pill that they used to get Steve Hutchinson away from the Seahawks. Minnesota did it 11 years ago, and they limited the extent to which that can be used. But you can have a clause that says he must always be the highest paid. And if someone passes him, that's the new salary that he's going to get. Teams prefer to have the certainty on the books. But, yeah, you can negotiate a lot of things. Teams just don't want to do it because the management council doesn't want to do it. And the management council is, in a roundabout way, the tool that the NFL uses to keep all the teams in line. That's how the collusion happens. It's not the teams getting together saying, hey, what's the best way to manage our team? It's the league office telling the teams, hey, this is the best way to manage your team. Faisal wants to know what's going on with the Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson contract situations. Well, with Aaron Rodgers, we're just waiting, right? We know what the, what the bar is. We've got Aaron Rodgers seeing Matt Ryan at $30 million a year. Aaron Rodgers is at $22 million a year. Something's wrong with this picture. Now, there's been some reports about the clauses that Aaron Rodgers may be looking for. I think he needs a clause that guarantees he'll always be the highest paid player in football, meaning his salary will go up the next time he's leapfrogged. Or, or this one's easier, and this one definitely is available. My contract will always be, my salary cap number will always be 15% of the total salary cap, for example. That's easy to do. Now, you run the risk of the cap going down, but still, the cap hasn't gone down since the last time they did a CBA. With Russell Wilson, nothing's going on. He's under contract for two more years, and he... My understanding is, and we reported this several weeks back on PFT, he's resigned to the fact that he's going to do the franchise tag dance. And you know what? He's young enough and he's good enough. Two more years under contract, and then the franchise tag for two years after that, and then they have to make the decision as to whether or not they're going to give him a 44% raise or let him hit the open market. I think that he's committed to not doing another favorable deal, and they either have to pay him market value or... They have to go year to year under the franchise tag and watch him hit the market in four years the way that Kirk Cousins has done. Brady wants to know who's more likely to play more games this season, Baker Mayfield or Des Bryant. Boy, that's a good question. That means I'm buying time. I'd probably say Des Bryant just because I still think it's likely someone signs him and he's ready to go week one. And this isn't start games. This is play games. See, I'm, I'm playing a little lawyer games with you here, Brady. You see, because if... Des Bryant is the third receiver on a team he's still going to play. Baker Mayfield's only going to play if he's the starter. And the Browns seem intent to not use him, at least not out of the gates, because I think they ruined Deshaun Kaiser last year by thrusting him into the starting job right out of the gates, and I think they're determined not to do it this year. 
Fittison Kane, if OBJ had done better in that playoff game a year and a half ago, would he have more fan support in his holdout? I, I don't know. I, I don't know what's up with fans. We talked about this earlier in the week, and I've been meaning to write something about it at PFT. The idea that, that fans don't understand why players try to get more, that fans don't support the effort of players to get more. I think fans just want their teams to be intact, their players to be in the fold. And I think it's easier to put pressure on the players than it is to put pressure on the teams. Because you know what? The teams are going to be in this situation over and over and over again over the years. They know how to do it. They've been there and done that a hundred times already. They're going to be there and do that a hundred more times. For the player, he's not in this spot very often. And I think the player is more likely to give in to the pressure. I think that's one of the reasons why we've seen OBJ engaged in the offseason program. I think he was very sensitive to the criticism from last year. I mean, hell, he blocked me on Twitter, and all I said is, hey, Odell, if you're going to stay away from voluntary workouts, at least let people know why. Because they're speculating that it's because of your contract. If it is, just say so. It's okay. It's okay to say so. And he didn't like that because we got blocked. So I think that players don't want to be criticized. They want to be loved. They're very sensitive about that. And you combine that with the fact that the fans are more likely to blame the player and call the player selfish. So I don't think it would matter. I really don't. And I wish more fans understood that these players have limited opportunities to get paid. They're taking the physical risks. They don't have equity. And the billionaires keep getting richer and richer. And you're playing into their hands by supporting the teams when players are simply trying to get what they deserve for the the physical and mental toll that they are willingly absorbing to entertain us. What else do we have? Fittis and Kane, has free agency unintentionally hurt fan support for individual player compensation due to the prospect they may not stick around for more than a few years? I, I just think fans are wired, as I said a minute ago, to support their own interest, which is I want my players to be on my team, and I don't like it if they're not going to be there, and if they're not going to be there, I'm going to blame them, not the team. All right, let me answer one more here, and then we've got to go. Vaughn wants to know, what could the NFLPA do in theory with the hiring of a law firm to combat the new anthem? Well, there's two different ways that I think it could be pursued, and, and actually three different ways. One, a non-injury grievance filed under the collective bargaining agreement. The deadline for that is late July. The argument would be that the NFL changed the anthem policy, took away the rights of players to protest during the anthem without bargaining in good faith before doing so. Because the NFL created this right to protest back in 2009 based on the way they drafted the policy. Must be on the sidelines for the anthem, should stand. And when Colin Kaepernick was not standing in 2016, the NFL said players are not required to stand. They're encouraged to stand. They're not required. Okay. The right is obvious at that point. And the argument will be you can't take that right away without sitting down and talking to the union. It's no different than taking away anything else that benefits players. Hey, we're taking away the franchise tag. Whoa, wait a minute. When, whoa, what the hell? What are you talking about? Well, wait a minute. The players want the franchise tag to go away. That's not the best example. They're, they're taking away something that benefits players or implementing a new rule that hurts players. How about that? We're going to give team, uh, teams two franchise tags a year because we just want to. Whoa, wait, a better example. Can we forget about what I said 30 seconds ago? We're going to give teams two franchise tags a year. You can't do that without bargaining. And see, the NFL wants to fix this problem without giving the union anything. And when the NBA went through this 20 years ago, 
The first thing they did, they got together with the NBA Players Association. They made a concession. I don't know what the concession was, but they bargained with the NBA PA and they got it done. That's what the NFL should have done in 2016. Actually, what it should have done is not screwed up the policy in 2009. Nobody would have noticed it. Nobody would have said anything about it. 2016, they should have gotten together with the union and fixed it because now, whatever it would have taken in 2016 to fix it, now it's going to take a hell of a lot more. One more from Bibbity Boppity at Gimme the Guapity. I love that. As a Washington fan, we have been extremely overhyped on Darius. Guys, please bring me and the rest of Burgundy and Gold back to earth. Here's the take on Darius Geis. I explained this earlier today with my good friend Chad Dukes of 106.7, the fan in D.C., because there are people out there who think Geis is going to be great, that he's basically going to be Saquon Barkley. I don't know that he's going to be Barkley. I think he's going to be really good for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think he was far better than what his, uh, his draft stock would suggest. He slid for reasons unrelated to ability. I think he's going to have a big impact in his first couple of years, especially with Alex Smith running the passing game. Look at Kareem Hunt last year. One of the reasons Kareem Hunt was so good, Alex Smith, a very surgical, controlled passing game that moves the ball, moves the ball, moves the ball, gets the defense to focus on the passing game, opens up opportunities in the running game. But the caveat is, unless Geis matures, and maybe he will, the brain isn't fully developed until you're 25. Maybe he matures. If he doesn't mature, he's going to wear out his welcome quickly. If he does mature, if he doesn't create problems, drama, issues, He could become the the Clinton Portis that the franchise hasn't had in recent years. So I think guys could be very good. So sorry, I don't think that I properly brought people down to earth. And also, I want to go back to Vaughn's question. In addition to an attack of the anthem policy under the CBA, these law firms are looking at federal and state constitutions. We've written about this in the past. There's a Lawsuit that was filed by a Packers fan who had Bears season's tickets, who wasn't allowed to wear Packers gear to a season ticket holder event on the Bears sideline. And that, that fan filed a lawsuit under the First Amendment. Now, it's, it's harder to prove that there's a violation of the U.S. Constitution's First Amendment because that typically focuses on governmental action. Some of the state constitutions, however, they extend more broadly to private action which would bring the teams in those states within that umbrella. Colorado, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, I think, were some of the states that were implicated, as, and California, I think, as, as restricting the ability of private employers to limit free speech rights. But that's part of the attack. I think the easiest thing is to take it up under the CBA, but there's multiple different paths they can take. And something we said on PFT Live today, and then I do have to go. The NFLPA risks becoming the villain here. They they are going to be the target of the derision. They're going to be, oh, oh, they want, they hate America. They hate the flag. They hate the anthem. They hate the military. No, they love their players, and they have a legal duty to defend the rights of the players. And the NFL is the one that created this mess. The NFL is the one that created the right to protest. The NFL is the one that confirmed the right to protest. The NFL reiterated the right to protest, and the NFL took it away without conversation. This is on the NFL. The NFLPA is merely doing what people complain all the time they don't do. Oh, they, they don't, they don't uh, properly um, defend the, the players. Well, in this case, they are. All right. Thank you 
for uh, your your support of the PFTPM podcast. Sorry, I missed Wednesday and Thursday. We're good to go for the indefinite future, although things are slowing down. I, I got to come up with a plan for my four week break because starting the week after next, four weeks of no TV or radio, and that's that's how the PFTPM podcast got started last year because I did a PFT Live podcast in the afternoon. I'm going to see if we can do the PFT Live podcast slash PFTPM podcast, basically do one that gets put on both. So if you subscribe to both, you may get a little double dipping, and I apologize for that in advance, but that may be what we do. I'll figure all that out. I'll let you know next week. We're going to get Amy Trask next week. Wanted to get her this week. We're going to try to get her next week. I have to to do the Mother May I routine with CBS. I, I think CBS will be cooperative. But uh, once we get clearance from CBS, then we'll have Amy Trask again next week. Thanks, as always, for your time. We'll be posting all weekend long. Don't forget about us when you're out you know, doing summer things. You still need to see what's happening in the NFL, and we still need your clicks to keep the lights on. Thanks, as always, and we'll talk to you again Monday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.